0: short for the hip I wasn't ready you weren't ready <laughs> No. well you know what, fine let's go with it <laughs> we've played the music now now we've played the music now, we might as well start. Hello! Hello, everybody,
1: and welcome once again to another fantastical, wonderful episode of Pottywood.
0: I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and with me as always is... That would be me, Andrew Roger Carson. Welcome to episode 10, Pottywood, The Secret of the Magic Potion. Can you believe that's the only film I could find with an actual 10?
1: Oh, I've just thought of one that you can use for next time as well. I'll write it down, and then that way it's, uh, it's a little bit of a secret. But where's that one? The Secret of the Magic Potion? It's an Asterix movie. Ah, right. That makes sense. It's called Culture, you
0: savage. Hey, I know Asterix. I used to read that all the time when I was a kid. You know, 12 tasks of Asterix. Brilliant. love it. That's well, You could have gone with Asterix in Britain, which is the best one. And also the best animated movie out of all of them.
1: Possibly. Lee, I personally, like I say, I'm a big fan of 12 Tasks, but anyway, that's another story for another episode, as we keep saying. And we never keep fulfilling that promise, do we?
0: No, we don't, but we will. Yeah. It will happen when you least expect it. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on to the show.
1: Okay, so this week, before we start, I just have to apologise. I am suffering from a massive A fever attack right now. And I must also apologise because I don't care. I know. you really don't okay so this week uh, we're going to be looking at some more get it fresh
0: get it fresh too
1: electric boogaloo yes yeah have to have to um but for now let's carry on with our usual openers and this week we're going to be talking about taxi driver which was the movie which i was tasked to watch
0: last week from
1: what's in the box
0: yes and i must also say that last night uh, you did text me and say, I'm really not in the mood to watch Taxi Driver. And I was like, well, I don't care. you still got to watch it.
1: Uh, yeah, I really was not in the mood for anything kind of oppressive and nihilistic.
0: Well, this is where you've got to be careful, because this is one of the most loved movies of all time. So you kind of have to tread carefully here, Steve. We might get letters. Oh, you mean that someone might actually write to us? Well, I'll say we get letters. I don't think they'll be nice enough to write on them. They'll just get an envelope. Anyway, Taxi Driver is one of those movies that you, uh, particularly at this
1: stage, we're, what, we're about 45 years on from the original launch, and What can you actually say about it? This is a cultural icon. This is a touchstone of modern cinema. And its fingers have been well woven into the tapestry of modern day cinema ever since. And not only that, but you can't really look at any piece of popular culture these days without finding at least some reference to it. Particularly the you talking to me scene. Which has just become iconic in its own right. So where do you actually approach this movie? Well... I'm looking at it as someone who has never seen it. I'm looking at it as someone who has been to New York. I'm looking at it as someone who can kind of identify with Travis Bickle occasionally. You know, not today. this. The ex- is, this, is, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> no, not to the point that I want to go out and, and chew someone, but there are times where I just I, I just. I want to kind of withdraw from humanity. But Travis is an ex-Vietnam vet, and he gets a job as a taxi driver, and throughout it all, he starts to learn to hate the seedy underbelly of 1970s New York, back when the city itself was very dirty and grimy and sleazy, and the whole tone of that time is present all throughout the film, including, apparently, there was a garbage strike during the making of the movie, so that's why there's tons of rubbish all over the place. And they also mentioned that in Joker, which took way too many cues from this film for it not to be a sequel. And I know I made a joke about that last week, but yeah, it really is.
0: And also, it, it is more to do with Scorsese's follow-up film, The King of Comedy, really, which you also mm. may not have seen, but Joker borrows even more from that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an homage to those two films, without oh, yeah. question.
0: The ultimate love letter. Yeah, it is.
1: And uh, that's why I always thought that Joker was better without all the Batman references. And this is basically Joker without all the Batman references. Rob De Nero is just he is stunning in this yes. movie. Because you are constantly worried about him. You're constantly thinking, is he going to snap now? Is he going to snap later? And then when he does finally snap at the end, spoilers for a 45-year-old movie, it... Goes in spectacular fashion. Oh, yes. Well, I'm going to get into spoilers now, anyway. so Towards the latter half of the movie, he starts to become friends with a young prostitute called Iris. Played by Jodie Foster. A 12-year-old Jodie Foster, actually. So, the character's age match. And he wants to try and get her out of the life. So, after a failed attempt at assassinating a political figure... He then goes after the prostitute's uh, pimp and his boss, the mafioso guy and the guy that's running the brothel. And there's this shootout with fingers are being locked off and there's loads of blood everywhere. And then after that, there's a big question mark. Now, some people say that the the ending is maybe a dream, maybe what came before was a dream, maybe it was all a fantasy in Travis's head. Um, I did have a look online and apparently... Martin Scorsese himself has said, no, what happens afterwards is actually real life, and that did actually happen.
0: You've got to admit, the ending is very, it is very Um, sugar-coated. I guess it depends on exactly how you view it. To be honest, until you said that, I was always in the vein like, well, this is the kind of after dream, or, you know, something along that line, maybe he's in a coma from being shot, and this is kind of all playing out in his head. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, it comes down to your own interpretation, I think. I think Martin Scorsese, who does have his own little cameo in the movie, as mentioned by Bill Daly last week. He does, as the, uh, I think he's called like the
1: Wild Passenger or Crazy Passenger or something like that. And he's basically the one that gives Travis the idea to go out and buy a gun and take vengeance on the scum
0: of New York. Yes. And uh, it's a phenomenal little turn by Martin Scorsese, I've got to admit. Uh, the weird thing though before you carry on the weird thing about that scene is we never know
1: exactly what happens we don't know if he actually went up there and shot his cheating partner or we don't know well anything about the aftermath of that event and because it is such a big event which then spurs Travis on it's kind of strange that we don't find out anything more about that
0: no actually I'm, I'm going to add on to that because as you know i have written a script about my own kind of driver not along the lines of taxi driver at all mm-hmm. uh, which hopefully i'm going to be going and shooting soon yep fingers crossed but that's a very important storytelling aspect okay because as a driver you're not involved in these people's lives as soon as they leave your car you can be involved in all of the, the kind of dirty and urban and everything aspects of while they're in that car, where they're going to and why. But as soon as they leave, they paid they their money and out, they're gone. He's a, a basically a ferryman character. But all of this kind of disdain and grime and all that just feeds into his character and and drives him to this point where he just thinks New York is this cesspool, which to it some was. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it was.
1: I, okay. Going back to what I said earlier, uh, I've only been to New York once. I spent a few days there in 2016, and that was 40 years after the movie was made. Now I went to Manhattan, and Manhattan I thought looked fantastic. I thought it looked great. It looked like the kind of major metropolitan area you would want to live in. The streets were dirty, but they were kind of dirt of a used city it's not like washington dc washington dc is way too clean there's something wrong with that it was the dirt of a used city it's a dirt of people who are going to work and so on but then as soon as you get off manhattan you go into places like queens and uh, the bronx and so on and it still is very very dirty and lots of it has got dilapidated buildings and so on
0: so it's like stockport
1: yeah or or salford
0: so, oh yeah or oh, salford yeah wipe your feet on the way out of that place
1: yeah look <laughs> I know we've probably got people that are listening in on Salford, and if you love your city, then that's absolutely fine. But I personally think it's a dive.
0: Uh, I have some friends over in Salford as well; uh, they're due to get out in about ten years. <laughs> <laughs> right, one thing, one thing that I would
1: like to bring up, though, uh, because we're going to get, we probably will get into trouble for trashing Salford so much. But then again. Doesn't take no one much. else does. No. Um Harvey Keitel shows up as Iris's pimp towards the end, and yes. he, aside from the wrinkles, he was born with an old face, <laughs> wasn't he? He's a fantastic actor. I love him to pieces. But by God, he didn't half look old. He was just missing the wrinkles for it, and it was weird seeing him with long hair and muscles
0: as well. <laughs> I think, I think that is maybe what living in New York does to you. Yeah, possibly. But no, it's... Uh, uh, for some strange reason, I haven't watched Taxi Driver in a number of years. I just have this horrible vision that Harvey Keitel had, like, dreadlocks and was speaking almost in a Rastafarian style. No, was, no, you're was, thinking... Thank God.
1: You're thinking of uh, uh True Romance. Yeah, it was I, Gary I remember that.
0: Yeah, but I think maybe, you know, Gary Oldman just wakes up and then suddenly people are just in awe of everything he does. I think when suddenly... Gary Oldman decides to be a, a pimp in a in a movie. Suddenly, every single person turns into Gary Oldman.
1: <laughs> what can you I say? You love Gary Oldman. I love, I love Gary, Gary Oldman.
0: Oldman. Ga- Gary Oldman is just—he is the actor's actor. I, I don't think you can get a bad Gary Oldman.
1: Actually, do you want to know something? That was—we're going off topic here again. Uh, But when I saw him in Batman Begins as Commissioner Gordon, I think that was the very first time that I'd ever seen him play a good guy. I cannot honestly remember any other performance that he's done where he's actually played a good guy, because they're
0: always uh, villains of some description. That could actually be a really good point, because I was really struggling then to kind of remember, and I'm sure there is. There probably is. But non-spring to mind. No. But anyway, so... Your final thoughts on Taxi Driver, Steve?
1: Well, the final thoughts are, yeah, it definitely deserves the classic status that it's got, without question. It's 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 an awkward watch in terms of looking at Travis and trying to see him blend into humanity, where he just doesn't have the mental toolkit to be able to do it. The soundtrack is wonderful, but it's also very, very functional as well. I noticed at the start that uh, it kind of almost sounds like breathing because the music kind of ramps up and yeah. then drops, and then...
0: That amazing Bernard Herrmann score.
1: Yeah, and then it ties in with Travis's emotional state as he's going forward, and when he's falling in love with the, the campaign worker, played by a very young Sybil Shepherd, looking absolutely stunning. Um
0: oh, shoot. She's stunning right up into her age now. She just yeah. has this magic gene.
1: Um Just that wonderful, smooth, romantic saxophone score that follows it round, which then kind of dissipates and becomes broken with this militaristic theme as it goes through it 's a great film. I do think it 's a great film um the ending the ending I think the brutalism of it comes out of nowhere almost yeah, you know that he 's going to do something, but after a relatively tame movie the the shock of it all does just hit you in the face.
0: Yeah, it's the build-up to the act. He spends this entire movie you know, building up to this event where he's going to blow, basically. Mm. And then it comes from this kind of showdown with the pimps and the boss and, and et cetera. And it is incredibly brutal still to this day, but so exceptionally well done as well.
1: Yeah. And uh, one last note that I will leave you all with before we move on. The writer... Paul schrader Paul yeah uh, apparently has said that this was also semi-autobiographical because of his uh, feelings of being isolated and alone in new in it wasn't New York he was in Los Angeles and working a shift in a restaurant and so on and just seeing all the people come through and he was honestly apparently in one interview he was honestly saying that he wanted to get a gun so then he changed it all over to New York when it came to write the script so yeah
0: I, I can believe living in New York would do that to you no, he was in Los Angeles when this... Was he? Uh, when this all well, happened. in that case, I can definitely believe that that could happen. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some areas that I wanted to get a gun other than If I shoot myself and the ambulance could take me past it.
1: Oh, no, don't forget, though, this is America. So just imagine how much that ambulance ride is going to cost.
0: Yeah, they'd, prob- they'd probably charge me for the bullet as well. Yeah, they probably will. But Anyway, those are my thoughts
1: on Taxi Driver. Really good film. Check it out if you haven't seen it.
0: Very good. And how many years old did you say that was? It's
1: 45 because it came out in 1976.
0: Ah, 45, so that's kind of an anniversary. And speaking of anniversaries... We watch them again all of the time Or oh, we get them on Prime for free But we only know how old they are When we learn their anniversary. Let's talk about our anniversaries this week. And it's quite an interesting, diverse group of movies. Okay, so what's the first one? I'm going to do them a bit out of order in kind of importance levels.
1: So you're doing it in a style of Nominate 5 then?
0: Yeah. Okay. So th- that kind of dyslexic countdown. Okay, so let's go. Can you believe, Steve, mm-hmm. 20 years ago we were graced with Shrek? Ah... Uh...
1: The meme is wet dream that is Shrek. Now, I'm a big Redditor, and you really can't scroll for more than a couple of minutes without seeing some meme that's linked with Shrek. Yes,
0: it's pretty much everywhere. It is. But hey, you know, yeah. Shrek was an, <laughs> an unexpected hit. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was a huge hit for DreamWorks. Uh, probably revitalized um, Mike Myers' career, because I think Austin Powers was well on the downswing by then. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was because I think that was before. Um, what was the third one called? Can't remember. Gold Member. Gold Member,
0: yeah. I think it was just before Gold Member came out, I think. Yes. Well, this was obviously 2001. So, yes, and Gold Member was 2002. So, probably doing these around about the same time. Obviously, the standout Eddie Murphy as Donkey. That's uh-huh. who we all remember. Yeah, it's just a pity then that this kind of kicked off what I called the
1: the DreamWorks formula, which is the same for every single movie, and they all end with a dance number.
0: Yes, and they all end with lesser sequels, unless it's through Panda. I mean, I would give props to Shrek 2, I really loved as well, but as soon as we hit Shrek the third, I don't think there was a person on this planet who felt a little bit like, eh... And then I can't even remember Shrek forever after.
1: No, it's the same with all the other ones like Ice Age and, and what have you. The first one is always person learns to be accepted by a wider community and starts to open up. The second one, they fall in love. The third one, there's babies. And the fourth one is just whatever's lounging at the bottom of the writer's room
0: bin. <laughs> it's the same with each one reckon when it gets to like number five, these were ideas that we cut out for time. Let's assemble it all together yeah, probably. like that Wake Up Ron Burgundy movie. Number five is just basically a clip show. Yes. But Shrek is absolutely amazing. If somehow you have not seen Shrek, go and find it. The The original one and the second one are worth seeing. Yeah, I'll
1: new. agree on that one.
0: What's next? Speaking of the DreamWorks formula, 15 years ago this week, we had Over the Hedge. Nice. I honestly can't comment about this one. I've not seen it. I've oh, not seen it, now. That's actually one of their better ones. I really, really enjoy Over the Hedge. And it's really funny to boot. Bruce Willis is a raccoon. Right. That'll cheer someone up. <laughs> I so... wonder who. <laughs> but yes, Over the Hedge. Uh, that's actually a really good film. I'm not going to ruin it for Steve because it's probably going to go into the box. And something that will not go into the box is something that's celebrating... Ten years, Steve. I'm guessing it's not in the box because it's not fresh. It is not fresh. No. And I don't think it's going to be well-received by you either. Okay. No, it is not the Ghostbusters remake. It is Transformers Dark of the Moon. Ten Uh, years old. uh, Now, I'm going to go on the defence. I went to see this the night before it was released. I saw it in 3D. In 3D, it was absolutely spectacular. And compared to Revenge of the Fallen, this was a great improvement.
1: Wait, 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 wait. No, I have seen this one. I have seen Dark of the Moon. I did see... No, I saw Revenge of the Fallen in the cinema. Oof. And I saw... Th- yeah, I know. Uh, then I saw this one. I think it was on TV. And I watched it and it was kind of like, eh, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was just typical noise. Michael Bay Transformers noise.
0: Yeah, well, that's what the China churn out wasn't it i mean i think by the time the last night came out that was the point where even michael bay hated transformers yeah that's why bumblebee um, was better yes yes we we got great enjoyment of seeing that on christmas eve mm-hmm. it was good but transformers dark of the moon i'm actually going to go into defense for because i think it is you know as a popcorn thrill ride it delivers you know it delivers everything that you'd want to expect from a big transformers carnage movie speaking of which I left the movie celebrating thirty years to last, because this week the Naked Gun two and a half the Whee! Smell of Fear was released, and uh, we're hoping to bring David back to do a little special on this at some point down the road. We can do it all year; it doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's uh, it's a yearly anniversary, isn't it? You know, exactly. No one pays attention to the exact week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, the first Naked Gun is an absolute classic. And the second Naked Gun, you know, it, it certainly delivers. Okay, it's not as well received as the first movie, but it has some of the funniest jokes in there and the greatest little cameo by our friend David Zucker playing mm. Davy Crockett. Yeah, and there's also got some wonderful little
1: visual jokes. Uh, one thing that I will say about all of the uh, the Zaz films is that every time you watch it, there is always something that you didn't notice before. That you notice for yes. a, the first time. Like, many weeks ago, when we had David on, I was watching uh, Airplane for the first time. Not for the first time. For the was, first time? I Jesus. know, it is. Um, I was watching Airplane with my girlfriend for the first time. And I noticed the names of all the magazines that were on the, uh, the magazine rack that Captain Over was reading. And I don't know why I'd never seen it before, but I just noticed all these really dodgy titles. So there's loads of stuff that you can see in the second Naked Gun film, and the first one for that matter.
0: Yes, it's it's definitely worth a revisit, or a first-time watch if you haven't seen it. Yeah, And that is this week's anniversaries. So, this week uh, I decided to push, I guess, back because we have had a really hectic couple of weeks recording a whole bunch um, of episodes in succession. Mm-hmm. Um, last week we had Bill Daly on. The week before that we had Jay Oliver who was, who was great joining goes in such a busy week and it was a you know very well received episode. we're very thankful for him, and he's yeah. going to be back on in the future as well as bill
1: and if you haven't seen jay's anime Trese, check it
0: out it's on Netflix right now it is and it is incredible it's brilliant and they also do an after Dark special where you can see Jay talking about it that you can find on Netflix as well, mm-hmm. so we decided to bring back an old favorite from a few weeks ago called "Get It Freshed." Uh, I've been looking forward to that tune all week oh yes thank you Neil yes thank you I've, I don't know if he's actually going to be away when this episode airs because I think he was talking about going away on a little getaway but hopefully you've tuned in anyway because you know it's a podcast you can listen to it whenever you want you can listen to it on the car on the way yes or while jogging yes so get it fresh tell us about it Steve for those who are just tuning in
1: Okay, well, like Andy said a couple of weeks ago, we did this segment called Get It Freshed," where we looked at movies that were fresh or rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, and argued as to why they should be certified fresh, which is a different thing altogether. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing that one. We had four movies each. Neither of us knew what was going to be on the other person's list, and there was a lot of laughs, really. So (laughs) we're going to be doing it again. Each of us has picked four movies. And as you started last time, I'm going to start this time.
0: I was just about to recommend you do that. Okay, well, Jelly. So good. So go ahead, peasant. All right, then,
1: person. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone. Okay. My first choice is an
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. He tends to get in this quite a lot so far. Go on. Yes,
1: he does. And it is one of, in my opinion anyway, it is one of his cheesiest, most bombastic movies of the 80s. And it is Commando.
0: <laughs> Brilliant.
1: It is currently sitting at 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. It isn't certified fresh, which in case you're wondering to do that, you have to have, I think it's five or more consistent reviews over 75%. So, why should you watch Commando? (laughs) It is, as I say, it is Arnie at its most Arnie. It is full of cheesy one-liners. It's full of gratuitous violence, over-the-top action scenes. It's just the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s cheese fest package in one movie, which lasts only, I think it's only like about an hour and 20 minutes as well. It's not a long film. It flies by. Oh, God, (laughs) yes. I mean, what more can you say? Because I know that you did The Running Man last time, and you were all about that and saying, okay, yeah, it's actually quite a clever, satirical take on uh, corporate America and the way that media is. No, there is none of that in this. This is just basically Arnie going rescuing his kid from uh, Dan Hedier who's a uh, Colombian drug... No, Valverde, the mysterious South American country of Valverde that was used in loads of movies around that time. And he just has to go and get her back. And he's got an accomplice with an air stewardess uh, played by Ray Don Chong. Um,
0: That's right, isn't it? Ray Don Chong? Yes, Ray Don Chong. Get it right, she'll be listening. Yes, and
1: it's just just one of those movies that you could probably switch your brain off. And we need more of those occasionally.
0: Yeah, you you need a film that has so many large logic gaps. Oh, it's full of them. That that Quasimodo from the Commodore 64 game that had to jump over the walls couldn't get over them. No, and he's got... Commodore 64 reference. There you go. Going totally 80s on
1: you. Well, why not? We're we're set in the 80s, so let's go for it.
0: Let's bring out the spectrum while we're there. So... Commando, oh I am so in agreement of this. Did you know that this was the first eighteen certificate movie I saw as a kid, which is rated R in the States. <laughs> I think my first one I think my first one was actually Lethal Weapon. Oh, well, oh, you were trailing me. But no, I remember when the uh, my parents rented this and they were watching it like the, the next morning when I came down. I, I always just remember the one scene that always stuck in my mind was this yellow porsche being Mm. rammed for like two minutes and then suddenly having no dent in the side of the car when they pushed it back onto its side i know but you know what you have to love and it's directed by uh markel lester who directed class of 1984 Mm -hmm. and markel lester is on my facebook so he may actually hear this when i say commando's going to be a feature on it it is the biggest guilty pleasure of the 80s, because this is the movie that ushered in Arnie as the big action star.
1: Oh, yeah, without question. I don't even think it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, I just think it's one of those movies that you can put on, say, uh, a Sunday when you're waiting for dinner to cook and you're just like, ah, oh, sod let's watch some
0: gratuitous violence. It's brilliant. And some of the performances are so ridiculously over the top. And we're looking at you, Vernon Wells.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean it it might be my favorite overperformance of a bad guy ever and it is absolutely fabulous it's like I'm going to wear this chain link vest I'm going to twirl a knife in every single scene I'm in and was he going for that freddie mercury look or... I think so yeah <laughs> what's that line
1: that he's got the um I'm not going to I'm not going to stab you in the back I'm going to shoot you in the balls
0: <laughs> That's, so, that's, that's the kind of dialogue we're talking about here. <laughs> that is cheated. I'm surprised Shane Black did not write the script. Oh, I because, know. It feels uh, like it should be. There are some lines in there that are so wince-inducing, like he breaks the guy's neck in the plane and just puts a hat over him to make out that he's sleeping, actually pulls a blanket over him to do the effect, and he pulls the air hostess aside, who was played by Chelsea Field, who was... Teela in the Masters of the Universe movie. Oh God, bless it. Myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was one of like my I've my pinups in the eighties. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a really small cameo by, her in one of her first proper roles, and just says to her, "Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired." Yeah. I mean, there's 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 so many gaping things wrong with that movie. Uh, the fact that he takes out an entire island of bad guys without reloading once. Or getting shot. Oh, no. Well, he gets... No, you think he gets shot once. No, he got That's shrapnel. It. He gets shrapnel from uh, one grenade from about 500 thrown at him. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, th- this was the ultimate video game before video games were really big. Oh, yeah. Uh, this came out the same year as Rambo First Blood Part 2. And they both have the same amount of damage on them. And <laughs> yeah. I think this was Arnie's way of saying, ah, oh, screw Stallone. Here's John Matrix. I John know. Matrix. What, what a, name. a name. You get the feeling that they were just throwing darts at
1: a dartboard covered in names just to work out what the hell they were going to call their main character in this one, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, just I want to know
0: where that came from.
1: <sighs> uh... Who has the surname Matrix? If you've got the surname Matrix. Come on come on to our Facebook page or Twitter or something and let us know. Cause I don't believe there is anybody
0: that has ever been born ever that has the surname Matrix. No. No. His name could have been John Catamaran mm-hmm. or something along those lines. John Monopoly Board. Yeah. <laughs> Chet Grenade. <laughs> Chet Grenade. There's an action movie name that I'm actually gonna write into a script now. Yeah. Chip Panfire. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm in full agreement on Commando. That's brilliant. Milo going to seem so like dated and crap now compared to that. Uh, well, well, let's see. What is your first one out of the bag? Okay, this is the first time I've actually gone this low on a rating because this movie is currently sitting at twenty nine percent rotten. Oh, that is low. So we know controversy is abound. So my movie, my first choice, is Event Horizon. Okay. Right. Now, for starters, this movie was released in this kind of vacuum of horror, sci-fi, action movies in the mid to late 90s where a bunch of uh, assembled crew members would descend on an abandoned ship of some kind and find something nasty waiting for them. Mm-hmm. It's a formula that's been tried and tested, though, ever since the crew of the Nostromo entered the alien mothership in like 1979 in Alien. Now, around this time, you had such cinematic fare as Virus, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Which isn't too bad. Oh, it's, it's it's terrible. You! No, it's terrible. No, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's terrible.
1: It is terrible. But I actually quite enjoyed it because it was so terrible. Uh,
0: that might actually fall into that realm. Mm. I remember seeing it and thinking, it's not given me anything new, apart from this really over-the-top Donald Sutherland performance. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that movie was not fondly remembered, unless you're Steve. Okay. <laughs> Then you had Deep Rising, Mm -hmm. which had one of the most diverse casts ever, including Gene Grey, Critical Bill Dooley, Igor from Van Helsing, and a team of mercenaries featuring the Sphinx, Dr. Jekyll from Extraordinary Gentlemen, Pinky Kano, Firelord Ozai... And Sinke, in surely what has to qualify for the greatest tax credit relief for hiring every <laughs> kind of ethnic on the planet? Oh, that's diverse. Oh, the tax rebate on this movie must have been astronomical. The only thing that I can remember about that film,
1: before you carry on, is the, like you say, the guy who played um, in Van Helsing. He was also in The Mummy as well.
0: Yes. Well, they were all done by Stephen Summers. Yeah,
1: and I can't remember his name, but Easy's mate and uh, Treat and Williams. I, is, is that his name? In in which movie? In The Mummy. Brendan Fraser? No, not Brendan Fraser. He's a little scrawny guy with a moustache.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Is that his real name? Or is that his name in...
0: What, scrawny guy with a moustache? <laughs> I don't know. Basically, all I, might re- be.
1: all I remember is that he is in um, Deep Rising and he gets digested by something at the end and it's disgusting.
0: That was it. Carry on. Okay. We'll cut that bit off. Anyway, <laughs> getting, get, getting to back to the point. Event Horizon here. Yes. Event Horizon has something very special about it. It's more a horror than a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Okay? Although it's set in space around spaceships, black holes, etc., etc. It is definitely among the most atmospheric horror movies I have ever seen. You feel this presence in every scene of this ship actually pulling hell back through this black hole. And, yeah, it's got its moments of gore. It has its jump moments. But the strength of this film, it carries an atmosphere as soon as you step foot on the ship with this crew. Yeah. And the ship itself is amazing. The set design is just otherworldly. No pun intended. Apparently it's based on Notre Dame Cathedral. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it has this very gothic look. It it makes the ship a scary-looking thing before it even ventures to hell. I mean, if I was a crew member and I walked onto this thing and we're going to go through this black hole, does it really have to look like this? (laughs) The sharp stuff everywhere. What if I fall over? That's an insurance nightmare straight away.
1: That spinny corridor that kind of like, it looks like you're going into a meat grinder, which (laughs) is... It does. you know which makes sense considering the rest of the film but
0: I wouldn't even want to walk down that as a set and didn't anybody think when they were developing this first ever ship to like travel through black holes and jump through time didn't anyone turn around and say yeah the design on this thing bit sharp isn't it yeah <laughs> everywhere and don't like the color bit bit dark but you know but the thing is I've actually been to the sound stage where this was shot at Pinewood, the first time I went down to uh, Pinewood Studios for a meeting and I had a tour around there and we walked through the soundstage where it was filmed and I was told about it being filmed there because the person there, Tom Reeve, was obviously there around the time that Event Horizon was filmed. And oh it still gave me the chills walking through it. Thinking, mm. wow, you know, this was the set where these amazing set was built. Now As for the cast of this movie, you have credible turns from such great actors as uh, Morbius, uh, Dr. Alan Grant, uh, Lucius Malfoy. And to be honest, I was convinced he was playing an android through this movie. (laughs) He was so straight and stoic all the way through it. I was like, this guy's going to turn into Data any minute or he's going to turn into Ian Holm. And he's not. He's an actual human being. is it Bill Pertwee in this as well? Sean Pertwee. Sean Pertwee, not Bill Pertwee, yeah. Uh, yes, he is. He plays uh, so. Smithy. He's, he's the pilot of the ship that gets them there. So yeah, the director of the movie is Paul W.S. Anderson. Not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson. I bet he mm-hmm. gets yeah. that a lot. Probably, yeah. Now, Paul W.S. Anderson, he gets a lot of flack for kind of being this Hollywood director for hire, you know, or being behind Alien versus Predator or one or two of the Resident Evils and mm. that version of the Three Musketeers that no one was actually crying out for and I don't think anyone went to see either. But I think he delivers with the right material. I liked the first Mortal Kombat movie.
1: Yes, I think it's... many people liked the first Mortal Kombat
0: movie. Yeah, I liked Death Race, the first one. And I really liked his first movie, Shopping, that he did with uh, Jude Law and Steady Frost. Uh, but Event Horizon just seemed like he was really throwing his creative finger in the mix here and, and just made a great, scary movie. And most movies like this go for like the, the monster on the loose that's chasing them around the ship and killing them off one by one. This movie plays out on a psychological level instead. You know, It plays on the characters' fears, has this great build-up throughout to the end showdown, which... Can seem pokey, admittedly, but it is one of the most atmospheric, big budget sci fi horror films.
1: Well, I'm not as big a fan of Paul W. S. Anderson as you are. I do think that Event Horizon is a good film uh i haven't seen it in a long time but i do remember that it was actually a very genuinely unsettling movie to watch the cast like you say is great sam neill looks completely off his rocker but that was i hadn't he i think it was like the year before or something he did uh in the mouth of madness yes he did yeah i think that was a better performance of him losing his mind than in this one i think yes but Lawrence Fishburne, I love the bit where he just like clicks off the monitor and just goes, we're leaving. It's like, no, there's no bones about it. As soon as you see like, all the all the shit that's on there, he just goes, "Nope, no, nope, we're out. We're done. Everyone back on the ship. We're going. You know, unlike most uh, horror movie protagonists that just go, oh, no, let's just keep it exploring down this long, dark corridor where we won't all get picked <laughs> off one by one. Yeah. yeah, see, the
0: engines are fired up. We're already leaving, let them have it. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, We need more people like Hicks, let's get off and nuke this site from Orbit.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, so yes, Event Horizon was my first for the week.
1: Okay, well, uh, my next one might be a little bit controversial... Because it's sitting at 68%. And I know that as it's a remake, most people prefer the original version of it. But I'm going to stick by this anyway. It's Red Dragon.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Mm. All right, this will be interesting. Now, yeah, this one is definitely going to court some controversy, I know. Now, this is not to take away anything from Michael Mann's excellent version of Manhunter. Way back in the day, at all. But, for me, I just think that Red Dragon, one, it fits in better with the world that was created around Thomas Harris's work post-Science of the Lambs. Two, it's got uh, a nice turn by Anthony Hopkins again, and as far as I'm concerned, him in small doses as Hannibal Lecter is brilliant. It's just when you get too much of it in a movie that kind of overrides things. I much preferred seeing Edward Norton as Will Graham. I thought that the ending was better than the ending of the original version of the movie. I thought it was uh, brighter where it needed to be brighter. I thought it was darker when it needed to be darker. And some people say that this one is more safer in terms of the tone or the content, when realistically it is the exact same movie because they're both based on the same book. But no, I just think that overall, in terms of a remake, I think it's actually one of the cases where the remake is actually better done. (sighs) Yeah, I knew this was going to be controversial. Yeah. Uh, Go on, tell me why I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> oh, no. No, you, I don't think you're wrong. I just don't think you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not 100%. You know, everyone has their own versions of, of films. You know, that they prefer more than the original. And I'm not an originalist. Mm-hmm. If a movie is really good as a remake, I will honestly say it's great as a remake. For example, 310 to Yuma, the remake of that, is much better than the original. Whether you put that down to time or budget or whatever, but it it comes down to who directed it, and it was James Mangold in that case. I am a huge fan of Michael Mann. I think I take more influence from Michael Mann's style of directing in my stuff than any other director, um, because that is what I grew up with. And I did go to see Red Dragon at the cinemas. I was on a date with Kate Mooney. Shout out to Kate. It was so hard because I loved the original Manhunter so much that I was just sitting through. This it held no surprises for me.
1: No, well a remake generally won't do. And to be honest, I don't have the same kind of connection with the original Manhunter as you do. I've seen it. I've seen it quite a number of times. I've enjoyed it when I watched it. But I think it's because of the 80s-ness of it all. And I know it's supposed to be set in the 80s, but there's something about the 80s-ness of it all, which I'm not a big fan of that time period anyway. And it's kind of interesting me saying that when the 80s-ness of Commando is exactly what I liked, but this is a different kind of tone with it all. That's the best way I can think of to describe it.
0: No, no, I will sit with your decision that it deserves to be fresh. I don't believe it is a better movie than Manhunter in my view. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some people sit really comfortably with it, with it kind of being canon in that whole Anthony Hopkins, uh, Hannibal Lecter trilogy. And to an extent, you know, they are right. Then it had a dynamite cast, an amazing cast in Red Dragon. But for me personally, I don't rate it better than Manhunter. But I do agree that it is uh, a movie that probably deserves a better rating than it has.
1: I mean, I don't really think I'm defending this one too well. So let's just move on to your next choice then, (laughs) shall we?
0: Go on. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no! you defended it really, really well. But I know there's going to be some movies that I mentioned that you are just going to outright say what. Very likely. So my second, sitting at 70%, ooh, so it's right there on the balance. Pretty decent. Is The Long Kiss Goodnight.
1: Okay, right, this is going to be one of those things where
0: I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment too much on it. Okay, well, allow me. So, if any movie worked on chemistry, it has to be The Long Kiss Goodnight. Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson were just the perfect balance of odd couple partnership, but with a switch, which may have been among the first times uh, in the 1990s. Gina Davis was the action star, Samuel L. Jackson was the comic relief. The script was by Shane Black, who is amazing at pulling apart common movie characteristics and developing intriguing turns for actors. And the dialogue in this is just pure gold, as it is in any script that he is behind. Samuel L. Jackson is the audience for this movie. He's the everyman caught in the bizarre ride this movie takes us on. Whereas Gina, uh, Gina Davis is the powerhouse. She's delivering two completely different personalities in this movie. And way before we had Charlize Theron kicking gas in Atomic Blonde, Aeon Flux, uh, The Old Guard, etc., We had Charlie Baltimore. Now, this movie, it was a statement from Rennie Harlan, only a few years removed from the Cutthroat Island disaster that many deemed responsible for the sinking of the Coralco boat. And as we know, a talented career can be sunk by a huge box office flop, and you can ask Michael Cimino on that one. Mm. But Rennie Harlan knew what he had with this project, and, indeed, the belief in his wife at the time, Gina Davis. Now, I'm going to go so far as to say he knew what he had in Craig Bierko, who was primarily a comedy actor. Yeah, he but, was. Yeah, and here he played the big bad guy, and he was so good. Now, one scene in particular he played with Gina and the actor, little actress who's playing her daughter delivered so much on his character in about 10 seconds of screen time. I won't ruin it, because you haven't seen it, and you probably will at some point, Mm. but it is amazing to witness. And this film never provides an avenue to be boring at all. Though it's the solid to great action set pieces to some of the wittiest dialogue committed to the screen, it is still hilarious to this day. An amazing scene with Brian Cox and the old woman who's playing his wife, which is still, to this day, one of the funniest exchanges of a cat licking its ass I have ever <laughs> seen in a movie. Oh, you, you've got to go and watch this now to see what I'm talking about. I know for a fact you are going to die laughing.
1: Well, I probably will do, because I do like Shane Black stuff, with the exception of, um, what was it, Predators? Or the Predator? I can't remember what the name of the last Predator movie was. Was yeah. it The Predator? That's right, yeah, because uh, the Predator franchise has just completely lost its way, and I was really disappointed that he wasn't able to get that, get that back on track. But I think that was more to do with studio interference. Anyway, no Shane Black stuff. He always has some really, really good dialogue, some really, really witty dialogue. You look at something like the Nice Guys, which was a lot of fun to watch. And then you've got things like Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Brilliant. And, of course, you know, he was behind Lethal Weapon in the beginning. He was behind
0: Predator in the beginning. So, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Shane Black. Yes, and you managed to miss out The Last Boy Scout as well.
1: Oh, yeah, well, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think many people miss out The Last Boy Scout, but that's nothing to do with him. (laughs) So, yeah, The Long Kiss Goodnight, highly recommended by me. And it's sitting on 70%, so it is fresh. But it is one of those movies that is criminally overlooked over how great this movie is. Mm. It should be higher. It should, definitely. It should.
1: Um, Okay, so my next cut is uh, not that far behind uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Actually, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's like he was trying to say something in that period. But anyway... Yes, it's currently sitting at sixty nine percent. Nice, and it was overlooked, and I think it was overlooked because of the movie that came before it. It is Solo, Ah, a Star Wars tale story. What a surprise! Oh, come on, you knew that it was going to be some Star Wars thing on this list eventually. Yes, well, you couldn't do the Last Jedi because it is sort (laughs) of. No, God, no, no, right, I'm going to try and ignore The Last Jedi, even though that I think that was the main reason why Solo failed. Last Jedi was one of the most divisive movies in the entire Star Wars franchise since The Phantom Menace. Uh, it really did set the cat amongst the pigeons to the point where the movie that was to follow it, Solo, had been going through some issues of its own. It had ended up with changing director from uh, Lord and Miller, who apparently were doing a far more comedic and slightly more tongue-in-cheek version of The Smuggler's Origin, and they brought in Ron Howard, who, for all intents and purposes, completely reshot about 80% of the movie, if not
0: more. Release the Lord and Miller cut.
1: Yes, release it. Do it Now. And for what it's worth, I think it is a really cute little film. One, though, it didn't need to be made in the first place. I don't think anyone was really chomping at the bit to find out how Han Solo actually met Chewbacca. Han Solo was just Han Solo. They were just there doing their own thing. And it kind of has that similar feel of X-Men Origins Wolverine where you don't need to know where that all came from. It's already been hinted at in other movies. There's no need to really go in and expand on it. More to the point, you kind of prefer the mystery that goes along with it. But what they actually ended up making, even though visually it was way too dark, was a rather nice crime movie. It was a heist movie with two really good heists and some really good set pieces, particularly the scene on the train where they're trying to steal a load of fuel. Yes, Brilliant. you've got to admit that is a really really good sequence i thought Alden and Reich did a really good job of playing a young hand solo which is a difficult job to do because you're having to play someone and not make it look like it's a pastiche or an impression you have to actually try and be that character which is difficult in and of itself i thought the characterizations throughout the whole movie were pretty good as well i thought well, woody harrelson's character was great um daddy newton was really underused though She could have been in it a hell of a lot more, and I would prefer to have actually seen her more than the droid that ends up coming on board the Millennium Falcon later on. I just think it's a really charming heist movie that got buried under the production woes and also the fallout from The Last Jedi.
0: I think it deserves to be given a second chance. I also think that that droid would have been so much better if voiced by my friend Ellen Dubin who is one of the best voiceover artists and even voices Captain Phasma on, I think it was Star Wars Rebels. I might be wrong.
1: I don't know. I've not seen Star Wars Rebels. <gasps> of Star
0: Wars fan, eh?
1: I haven't actually watched much of the cartoon output because there's so much of it to get through. I think yeah. there's, there's like about several hundred episodes of uh, The Clone Wars just
0: alone. So. Oh no, I haven't gotten into that, but I did start watching Star Wars Rebels with my son and he really likes it. And I've got to admit, it's really good Mm. yeah it is it is worth it but yes i'll agree i like solo it was a shame that it didn't get the props that it deserves because it is a a really just fun star wars movie much better than some of the stuff that followed it and some of the stuff that was released directly before it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's good it's 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 worthy of it even though i i am still a bit hmm, over how he gets the name Solo.
1: Yeah, that's one of the few things that doesn't need to be established in there. We don't need to know... Solo could just be a surname. That bit was drawn out. The bit where he gets his gun from Woody Harrelson, that was a bit kind of on the nose. Uh, And the bit where he's saying to Chewbacca, what's your name, Chewbacca? Well, I'm not saying that all the time. I'll have to give you a nickname. It's like, no, we don't need that. We don't need that. The rest of it, fine. You know, we don't need those little bits.
0: We we can guess this stuff. No, no, I'm I'm in agreement there. Uh, You've got a a supporter in the solo movement for me. And release that Lord Miller cut. That's what we want to see. That's probably going to be doubtful because Disney, but I reckon that there's someone over there that's probably looking at how the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League went on and they're probably thinking, "Mm, maybe. Well, apparently George Lucas is wanting to replace Kathleen Kennedy with Dave Filoni now. I read that today. I'm all for that. Yeah, D- Dave Filoni is one of the best things that has happened to Star Wars.
1: Yeah, and considering how the, the new trilogy was just handled so incredibly badly, it, it, they need someone else <laughs> at the helm. Yeah, it,
0: it didn't register with me as something um, really good, that no. new trilogy. I mean, Force Awakens, I actually liked. It was a good throwback, but uh, after that, it just took too much of a turn for my liking yeah the ma- main problem was and i'll say
1: this out now before we move on to uh, to your next choice is that it just simply was a case of they didn't know where the hell they were going with it and they let directors have complete freedom to do whatever the hell they wanted with little to no regard as to what actually came before and I could wax lyrical about the number of problems that are around in The Last Jedi and The uh, Rise of Skywalker until the cows come home, but ultimately, if you're making a series of films, then the next film in the series is only as strong as the
0: foundations laid down by the one previous. Simple as that. Very true. So, what's your next one? My third, and you're not going to believe this, Steve, mm-hmm. but sitting at 58%, so it is rotten, is John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> really <laughs> it really was <laughs> wow we are on a sam neill fest today i wasn't expecting that one to come out of the bag i know and you mentioned it earlier on i was like oh do i tell him now, or do i just leave it i thought i'd just leave it now that is a nice surprise carry on and, and the good news is you've actually seen it mm-hmm. so that's even better now why i am going to defend this movie john carpenter is considered a master of horror you have halloween You have The Thing, you have The Fog. They all rank high on the list of classic horror movies. But the love for his later horror efforts does get slim. And some of them understandably so with stuff like Village of the Damned, uh, which was pretty bad. Uh, It's kind of surprising considering In the Mouth of Madness is one of his most underrated yet lovingly crafted, uh, to the point of being, Lovecraft itself. Well, yeah. I mean, you cannot deny the connection to H.P. Lovecraft in this movie at all. Might as well just be set in Innsbruck. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, it reminds me of those old English horror movies like um, that chapter in The Monster Club where you kind of descend on a village separated from the world under the spell of something sinister. And in this case, it's good old Sam Neill making Mm -hmm. his second appearance this week. Uh, And he's making a habit of travelling to hell yet again, in a sense. At this time, he has a freelance insurance investigator who's hired by Moses himself, Charlton Heston, to find out if horror writer Sutter Kane, played by everyone's favourite U-boat captain, is pulling off a genius marketing plan, or if he really has, like, disappeared... What we get is a delve into a line of fiction and reality blurring as the town known as Hobbs End, which is featured mm-hmm. in Sutter Kane Stories, and in this is kind of a real or not real place. It turns into this duality of reality and fantasy and provides much more of an insightful and intelligent horror movie than the Slash Affair or the, the Hellraiser movies that were pushing out during the time when this came out in 1995. It feels like you're reading a horror novel. Now, some would mistake that you're in a Stephen King novel when watching this movie, uh, but it's directed by a master of directing tension in John Carpenter. And he'd just become freed uh, by a year or so from directing memoirs of an invisible man, which was... Also had Sam Neill in it. Which also had Sam Neill. Sam! What are you doing to us this week? We can't get away from you. You The worst thing is, I was watching the 1954 version of A Star Is Born the other day, which had James Mason in it, who was the teacher to Sam Neill on acting. Oh, really? Yeah, so there you go. That's 3.5 for Sam Neill there. Yep. Now, horror can still deliver creatively without relying on gore and cheap jump tactics. This is an homage to intelligent horror. And it does have some great monsters when they do show up. Uh that the film delivers on story and some great performances as well. Admittedly, Julie Carmen is the weakest link overall, with a performance not really matching her fellow actors. Although the jury is out whether she's supposed to be that way in the movie. You've also um, got Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> I'd forgotten about Vigo the Carpathian. Daddy boy <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't remember his real name at all for the life of me. But yeah, I just know.
0: Just watching it go, that's Vigo from uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah. I've only seen Vigo in, I don't know, he had a small role in Die Hard and I yeah. never saw him in the 13th Warrior after that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll always remember that picture of Vigo the Carpathian, me and you, sir, and we both did the pose next to him Yeah, with Slimer in front of us. But yes, Vigo the Carpathian is in it as well. And the ending is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, the ending to this movie is great. And you've got this nice little cameos in there. You've got, um, I want to say Bruce Glover. It is Bruce Glover, isn't it? Oh, uh, God. Uh, from uh, the Batman and Robin movie and Gremlins 2. Um, I think it's. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. It is Bruce Glover. I think it is yeah. Bruce Glover.
0: Yeah. Uh, he, he has this great little cameo in it. And, uh, yeah, Bernie Casey doing a small role in it as well. Yeah. And and all in all, it is just a, a great spooky little movie. Builds brilliantly. And, yeah, I, I highly think it is up there with John Carpenter's best stuff, along with Prince of Darkness. That's another one that doesn't get the love.
1: Yeah, I mean, John Carpenter, when he was back doing Halloween and stuff, well, he basically invented the slasher genre with that, didn't he? Yes. But, yeah, like you say... The Thing is just an absolute masterwork in having a monster there and the tension and the dread which is there in a confined space. But this has got, this has got something different. It's the horror of the unseen, yes. but not having kind of like a physical monster's face to it. It's almost kind of like worried about being subsumed with inside something ominous and dark, and there is this wonderful, wonderful kind of ratcheted tension throughout the whole thing, which just plays with the sinisterness of the town and the townsfolk and the little things that are going on, like like he walks past an alleyway and someone's someone's getting beaten up and then he plays her again. Um, And the kid that's riding on the bike that becomes like an old man and you're there constantly going, what's going on? And you feel like you are dropping into some surrealistic nightmare along the way. It's a great film. So I
0: think that really is a great pick for it,
1: without question.
0: As soon as you mentioned it earlier, I thought, oh shit, he's going to pick this right before I do. And then it's going to throw me off.
1: Uh, see, this is why we don't know what the other person's got. Makes it interesting. Yes. And slightly dangerous. Yes,
0: very dangerous.
1: <laughs> so what's your fourth and final? Well, my fourth and final one, uh, this is a movie that you definitely know because you introduced me to it. Oh, okay. Oh, indeed. We we watched it in yours one night and we didn't stop laughing for about half an hour.
0: I'm amazed that this is not Certified Fresh if it's the movie I'm thinking it is. It is Weird El- Al Yalkov- Yankovic's UHF genius one of the funniest movies we're laughing now and we haven't even spoken
1: about it yet i know Uh, it's it's a story about uh weirdo yankovic plays a guy called george who inherits a tv station and just starts putting on some of the weirdest tv programming you could ever possibly imagine and then across town you've got bigwig tv producer who's trying to run him out of business so in terms of a plot it's basic kind of 80s fare. You've seen it before in loads of other things. Oh, no, the no, the evil landowner wants to come and tear down the ranch. Well, I know, let's throw a party and we'll raise a thousand bucks. It's just, It's that kind of plot. But it's just got some incredibly funny moments. And I'm not sure how many of them we could actually talk about
0: without giving the jokes away. <laughs> I've got to admit... I, that was the first time I had heard you laughing to the point you could not breathe. Oh yeah, it has some of the <sighs> most ridiculous jokes that work so well. I don't think Weird Al Yankovic gets props for how much of a comedy genius he is. Yeah, right. Because he obviously wrote this. There's certain jokes like the the homeless guy outside who's asking comes for up change. To, yeah. he comes up asking for change, and Weird Al Yankovic gives him something like five dollars and then suddenly um I, f- I think i've got that joke fucked
1: <laughs> no, he, around, he, he, isn't he goes he
0: goes you got any
1: change yeah he gives him he gives him some change and then the old guy pulls he gives him a dollar and the old guy pulls out <laughs> right. pulls out some change and then give and three you change and i thank you and walks off <laughs> yeah. so it's like he, he's a homeless guy who was actually asking for change you know, it's not, it's not like he wanted. He was panhandling. He was actually asking for change. <laughs> and it's a stupid joke. And a lot of but them are works. stupid jokes, but they work so well within the framework of the
0: movie. The greatest joke this movie has... Yes, I know what you're going to say. guy coming in to tell uh, the main big ga- bad guy some throwaway um, MacGuffin news. And he's wearing this hat with a mink tail on it. So it's a cowboy hat with a mink tail and, you know, he's he's got a big bushy moustache and everything. He looks like the bandit. He and does, doesn't he? He does. And uh, the bad guy's, like, yelling to him to get out and as he's leaving, he just shouts, take that ridiculous thing off! And the guy just looks disappointed and pulls his moustache off. <laughs> <laughs> and Oh, we laughed. I knew that joke was coming, and I was giggling already, knowing that Steve had never seen this joke, and he roared. Oh, I was so loud that I, I thought my neighbours were going to call the uh, cops.
1: Yeah, I, I was just sat on your. I was sat on your chair. You were sat on the couch, and that just came on, and that was it. That set me off again. I was giggling
0: so much. <laughs> You actually (laughs) dropped to the floor laughing so hard. You were one step away from thumping the floor in laughter. And it was genius. The movie really is a slice of genius. I would have picked that one myself if I'd have thought of it. I I didn't realise that is not certified fresh, but that damn sure should be. It should be. It is a silly, stupid comedy with a really simple plot,
1: but it has got some fantastic jokes in it. It really has from start to finish. So uh, even if... You don't view it as good as a movie, which you know would be understandable. You cannot deny some of the jokes that are in this thing, so yeah, watch that.
0: Yes, I to, I, it's great. Cooney's Wheel of Fish that is all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> who was, um, I can't remember the name of
1: the actor, but he was also the guy who was in uh Gremlins 2. It, uh, Geddy Watanabe. That's
0: the one, Geddy Watanabe. That's, I can't believe I remembered his name, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and a, a good little throwaway to that do you know? that all of the locations from UHF are in Oklahoma, exactly where it looks like I'm going to be going and filming this movie. Really? So I will have to go and find Channel 8, uh, U52, all of those buildings, and I definitely have to go and find where Spatula City was. (laughs) (laughs) Spatula City. We're going to Spatula City, kids! Yeah, I mean, the entire movie was filmed in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. So... I, I literally have to go and find all of these uh, locations when I'm there. That's going to be a weekend task. I'm going to go and get all my picture taken at all of these locations. in Well, that is if they're still there. Uh, most of them still are. I have checked Google Maps because as soon as I find out it was filmed there and we were going to be there on this movie, hopefully. It was like, I've got to plan this out and go. No, UHF, that might be the best recommendation of the day. All right, I don't know how I'm potentially going to follow that. Well, how
1: are you going to follow it? What is your fourth and final?
0: Well, I am going to follow it with a movie that is certified 60%. Okay. Not certified. It's at 60%. Now, this is what a popcorn thrill ride is all about. Now, the formula for this movie was nailed for the mid-90s and came out in a summer consisting of the first Mission Impossible movie, Uh Alien Invasions with Independence Day. Okay. Okay. And Arnie shooting a crocodile and delivering a lion of your luggage. So that'd be 96? 96. Yes. We had the science action movie of Twister. Oh! Wait, this isn't certified fresh. This is not certified fresh. It is sitting at 60%. Oh, now that does surprise me. It surprises me as well. And I went to the cinemas to see this. I went there to see a movie where Private Hudson, Jamie Stemple, Truman Capote, Cameron Fry, Chad Copeland, and Star from the Lost Boys chase five small to humongous tornadoes. Did you get Oklahoma. all those references? Did you? We want to hear him. Basically, trying to beat the Dread Pirate Roberts to some government funding. <laughs> that is, that is oh, your plot. Dear. It That's is a plot in one line, right? It's loud. It's like a theme park ride come to life. It's got flying cows. I was just thinking <laughs> about that. <laughs> and, and it was Jan DeBont's movie following Speed, which is an equally huge style cinematic ride, before he sank with Speed 2 and mm. unfortunately scared us to sleep with The Haunting. This was where the disaster movie resurgence literally blew us away, literally, and provided much more joy than Dante's Peak, Volcano, and Daylight did around the same time. Yeah. Okay? As an effects movie, outstanding. Yeah, without
1: question. It was one of the highlights of the year.
0: Oh, definitely. As a story, not so much. I felt great for Bill Paxton, as he genuinely was one of the most likable guys in cinema history. He was. Even when he played a bad guy, you loved Bill Paxton. And from what I've heard from many people who have worked with him, he really was just this genuine... Nice guy, human being. Everyone else in this movie is so unlikable. Helen Hunt spends half the movie avoiding signing divorce papers for a guy she still loves, then signs the papers as soon as he professes he still loves her. What a dick move.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've got to admit, this has been a while since I've seen it. Yes. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman's character being more sympathetic. (laughs) Or was he just a bit of a dick as well, and I'm misremembering it?
0: When you get Philip Seymour Hoffman, when you hire him to play a stoner... Delivering lines about suck zones. You're really reaching. That role had Jack Black written all over it. And he was available. Then you get Jamie Gertz, who may be the most annoying new girlfriend in cinematic history. And deliberately written, I believe, as the most dumb person in Oklahoma at that time. Literally responding to answers to questions that have already been asked. <laughs> Someone literally says a line about um, Kerry L. and and Bill Paxton getting into a fight, and then she asks the question, that guy has a problem with Bill? You know, using the characters' names. But she deliberately plays this really dumb person, and she's supposed to be a shrink, who spends most of the time on her phone, which is was kind of annoying. But it's not about the characters. It is about the effects, and they are incredible. The, mm. the tornadoes, they each build to the the big one at the end, which is the, the number five, uh, Force five or whatever it is.
1: Category five, I think. It
0: Category is. five, I'll be the one. That is just, you know, this thing is blowing houses and and everything into the air, and then, spoiler alert, blows Kerry Elwes and his crew up in the air. And I was dying To see, in any kind of director's cut, a point where Kerry Elwes' van is picked up by this tornado and he just shouts out, As you wish! (laughs) As he's spiralling around this tornado. And it doesn't happen.
1: No, sadly not, but I will agree with you on the state of the special effects, because one thing that you're looking at in that movie, particularly, particle effects. And particle effects, even today, are still rather hard to do particularly when you're looking at different sizes because you would have big chunks of wood and then the wood would have to break and splinter and shatter and then all those different elements would then have to go mixed up with other elements such as dirt and soil into these tornadoes. And it was a massive achievement for the mid-90s. And it doesn't look like it today, but that would be to sell it short because at the time it was really pushing the effects envelope.
0: Oh, yeah. And it was a film released, I want to say something like five to six years ago called into the storm mm-hmm. and then you had the hurricane heist as well nowhere near as good as twister no. was you know but trying to kind of latch onto that tornado chasers and and disaster movie it's it's not been done as good since No, and it really was one in a million and by the way my friend mark marshall who we're gonna have on the show soon actually went and spent time chasing tornadoes in oklahoma did he Did he have any uh, close calls? I don't know. We're going to have to ask him when we do eventually get him onto the show. But yes, Twister for me is just this thrill ride. It was also one of the first ever movies released on DVD. Yes, it was. And one of the first ever DVDs released with a DTS soundtrack, which we played in an apartment that I was living in at the time and I got my surround sound hooked up and forever was hated by my next-door neighbor. Was that one of the, the DVDs where it was on two different sides of the same disc? No, no, it was not. It was it was single-sided. Wow. Yeah, it it was not like Warner Brothers used to do that all the time. Uh that they were the main guilty ones for doing it because you had stuff like Batman, which didn't even have the greatest transfer. Right, it was terrible that first DVD transfer. And then they split the movie onto two sides. And the other movies that did it were stuff like Armageddon, which was yep. one of the big ones. That
1: was the first one that went direct to DVD without a VHS release. Or it had, came out on DVD before a VHS release.
0: I believe that is right, yeah. yeah. So the movies around that time, Enemy of the State and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Face Off, all of the movies kind of came out. Excluded DVD on the first round. Yeah. But yeah, Twister was among the first movies, I think, among the first five movies released on DVD. Yeah. Well, there's a claim to fame if ever there was one. Yeah, yeah, and it was glorious. It's still glorious. I still own a copy of Twister on DVD to this day. Well, th- yep, that was a good choice, Andy.
1: And that was your last one. So that is the last one from me as well.
0: No, actually, it's pretty good. I think UHF is definitely riding high as this week's top choice uh, that people should go and, and hunt down. Uh, and I want to make a, a little special mention this week. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I said something particularly cruel. Or at least, it came across pretty cruel. I said, and I quote, about uh, Vin Diesel's acting ability, or lack thereof, in relation to one of the movies. I can't remember what movie it was. It would have been a Fast and Furious movie. It might have been a Fast and Furious. And I'm going to hold my hands up right here and say that that was taken a bit out of context. Because Vin Diesel is a good actor. There's some things that doesn't require him to act as much as possible. And I think the Fast and the Furious films are those type of movies, as well as Triple X. You know, they're big effects movies and people come to see the carnage and stuff like that. Vin Diesel can act in movies that you've probably not seen. There's a courtroom movie he did called Find Me Guilty where he is amazing in it and it throws you off because he actually has hair in this movie <laughs> so he was genuinely trying to do something you know he's great in movies like boiler room he was even great in saving private ryan right mm. in his small roles and i was basically talking uh with someone yesterday he was a good friend and they were saying oh do you really believe that vin diesel can't act and i was like no nah, he can act and they, they kind of brought back this comment that i made and I realised. Oh dear, okay, yeah, that that came across as really kind of snobby and snarky and a jab at Vin Diesel. And Vin Diesel is talented. Realistically, when, when it comes to the Fast and the Furious films, it doesn't rely on the strength of his acting, okay? I'm not saying he takes a back seat to it. I am just going to say that Vin Diesel has much more scope than the Fast and the Furious. But I don't think people are lining up to see those movies Where he genuinely is really giving great performances.
1: Well, I've got to give props to Vin Diesel anyway, because uh, he is a massive nerd. And all those nerds need to stick together. Yes.
0: There was someone else. Is it Henry Cavill, apparently, is one of the biggest nerds?
1: Henry Cavill is a massive uh, video gamer. Vin Diesel, I, I, as far as I know, he does play a lot of video games. But I also know he's a massive Dungeons & Dragons uh, fan. I'm not a massive Dungeons & Dragons fan, but I do
0: also like really niche stuff like that. So, yeah, we got to stick together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard a th- some kind of story that um, Henry Cavill almost missed uh, an audition or something because he he was playing a game
1: yeah it was uh, for superman <laughs> it was for enough. superman he was too busy apparently he was too busy playing world of warcraft
0: <laughs> <laughs> big, big props henry
1: i know henry if you ever listen to this come on the show you and i would have a lot to talk about it would, it would be the inverse of what we're doing right now, where we'd be telling Andy about video games that he
0: needs to play. Yeah, it, it probably would be, and I'd be totally blind. I mean, I'm, I've only started playing Splinter Cell. Yes. But before we uh, sign off for this week, and you'll notice there's no Nominate 5. No, because we've practically just nominated 8. Yes,
1: uh, although last time that didn't stop you.
0: But before, <laughs> we, uh,
1: before we wrap this up for this episode, we've got one more question that needs to be asked. What's in the box?
0: What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box?
1: Oh, you didn't think we'd get away without doing one of these, did you? Of course not.
0: I was not even prepared. You're not? am. right, good, good. That music lasts just long enough for me to get ready.
1: (laughs) No no wonder Kate's disappointed.
0: Ah, right, anyway. (laughs) So... So, the
1: story behind What's in the Box is it's very simple. I need to be taught about more eclectic film tastes, and Andy is the one to do that. So, he's going to put his hand into a box and pull out the name of a film which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And if I have seen it, then I go away and watch it. And if I haven't, then we discard that and we keep pulling out titles until we find one that I haven't seen. So, Andy... What
0: do you have for me this week? Well, I will just add on to what you just said there, that basically these movies are any movie that is certified fresh. So Uh you're going to find blockbusters in there that you may have seen. But the problem here is with Steve, as I've noticed, I've read out films that you would expect him to have seen, like Taxi Driver, you know, because... Who hasn't seen them, Steve? Apparently, well,
1: until last you night, know. me,
0: yeah. So it was like, you know what? I am just going to chuck anything in here. Naturally, we're going to find stuff that some people would say, oh man, it's, it's obviously you've seen it, and it probably is obvious that you have seen it, but you just don't know when it comes to Steve. So, no. uh, my f- first one we'll pull, you've definitely must have seen this. Uh, I don't know anyone on the planet who hasn't seen this. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Of course, yes, of course, okay. Yes, like everyone's say, seen that one, yeah. Well, imagine how shocking it would have been if you hadn't seen it.
1: I actually should have said no, and that way it would have given me something nice to watch
0: before the next episode. But anyway, carry on. Nah, not a chance, mate. Okay, uh, reaching in here. We have The Mask of Zorro. Yes, I've seen it. Oh, oh my God, two in a row. Two in a row. What's going on? We've never had two in a row before. Well, I did on a stack night. Hey! <laughs> um, okay, uh, next. Let's see if we can hit for three here. 2008's The Wrestler. Ah, that I haven't seen. Ah, okay, here we go, with Mickey Rourke. Okay, right, so the wrestler it is. And our good friend Lloyd is in that. Oh, yes, of course he is. Lloyd, Lloyd Danawahi. Hello. Yes, and he trained Mickey Rourke for that role. Oh, did he now? Yes, so this could be interesting. We've got to get Lloyd on at some point. He is on the schedule here.
1: Yeah, you know, it might actually be an idea to get him to, uh, to comment on this when he does come on. Because that would be, uh, be a nice thing to talk about.
0: Well, of course, we're going to have to talk about stuff to do with movies on a movie, on a show called Podywood No, I come just on.
1: mean The Wrestler in particular.
0: Well, well, obviously, yeah, we, we, we want to know exactly what was going down on that. Yes. Because obviously, he, he trained Dave Batista for his career as well.
1: Really? Big Dave? Big Dave. You all right, Dave?
0: So, yes, we've got The Wrestler. That's, uh, that's a good choice. Good choice for next week.
1: All right, then. Well, I shall look forward to watching that.
0: And speaking of next week, we will return with a guest. We have Elizabeth J. Carlisle uh, coming on to the show. Uh, She is absolutely amazing. Uh, Me and Steve have fun memories of the online auditions that we were doing last year, the online rehearsals, where Steve and Elizabeth were both absolutely standouts. Incredibly a diverse actress. She's been in so much stuff, and she's going to have a whole lot of history to share with us. Yes,
1: she is. She's really talented, so next week's going to be a really good one.
0: Yeah, and she's game for a laugh, so she's really going to join in on what's in the box, nominate five, and etc. We really want to hear what she has to say. The week after that, we are working on a very special guest. It is not fully confirmed that they're going to be in this week, so you're going to have to just wait. But uh the talks are happening. Ooh. And by the time you've heard this episode it will have been confirmed
1: yes well i for one look forward to finding out who this mystery personage is yes uh for now though you have yourself a good time don't forget to check out some of the other ones you can also join us on facebook twitter uh reddit just search for poddywood or look for at poddywood and uh, you can join in the discussion there, say what you like about the show, say what you don't like about the show, put forward some movies that you think we should take into consideration, anything that you want to. Let's get this conversation rolling. Just talk
0: to us, damn it, please. I'm so lonely. Uh, a little special shout out to Luke as well. How are you doing, mate? Thanks for listening. Who's Luke? He's uh, he's a guy called Luke. Oh. Hi, Luke! hey Yes, there we go. Right, so for now, though, it is a goodbye from me. And I suppose I've got to leave as well. Yes. Bye. You're talking to me?